Kia ora and welcome to another episode of Around the Fire. I am so, so honoured that Annie and I have finally made it onto this podcast together. It has been something that we have been wanting to make happen for a little while and then the planets aligned today and here it is. Annie and I have shared the journey together since 2019 when we met through Taranaki Retreat and I don't really want to tell much more of Annie's story because that's very much what she's here to do. And um, yeah, she does it so beautifully. So Annie, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, got so much respect and admiration for you. And yes, um, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. And yeah, I just want to hand it over to you and um, yeah, for you to share your story. Oh, cool. Thanks heaps, Liz. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, gosh, where to begin? Um, so, um, first of all, um, I am born and bred Hawke's Bay, um, lived there for 50 years now um, with my husband uh, Warwick, not all of those years obviously, um, and we are the parents of three children, so um, Luca, eldest, um, currently lives in Tokoroa, we have a daughter Charlotte also in Hawke's Bay and then our daughter Beth and a lot of the story is about, um, about Beth. Um, so our situation um, back in 2011, we were living in Hawke's Bay, just doing our thing um, with our children, raising them, normal kind of family life really. Um, and Beth at the time was 15, very, very typical 15-year-old, pretty headstrong and determined, certainly knew her own mind, but um, just a really kind, beautiful um, girl who just really looked for the good in people, um, loved her horses, just just was doing pretty good actually. Um, but you know, as lots of teenagers do, she just was trying to find her own way um, and we did butt heads somewhat. Um, so not, not I'm not really wanting to get too much into it, but we did have a situation with some other family members um, who, when Beth was sort of pushing the boundaries and stuff, decided that they knew better than us um, and they actually um, removed Beth from our home. So she actually um, went and lived with them, which we weren't very happy about at the time. Um, and, yeah, it was a pretty tough couple of years. Um, at the time, we fought really hard to try and get her home. Um, Beth also, you know, was... A, was her choice to go and live where she didn't have parents putting sort of boundaries around her but um you know at the age of 15 we really felt it was important that um you know we did some parenting so um you know yeah we were just kind of in um stuck a little bit between a rock and a hard place where we couldn't get her home um our lives had to kind of go on at the time so we have a couple of um companies one in Hawke's Bay and one up the east coast so my husband was busy with that um I enrolled in midwifery school which is something that I wanted to do for a long long time um and we just sort of tried to muddle along but we certainly you know there was a big um gap in our lives with Beth not being at home with us um so that was pretty tough um in December of 2013, we got a phone call that was absolutely de devastating. Um, and it was the police letting us know that Beth had taken her life. And 
I can't even begin to tell you in that moment how that felt. Um, our whole world just fell apart in that moment. The world began to spin. Um, and yeah, we just we just couldn't believe what was happening. Um, we it was the first time Beth came home um, in two years, and she was in her casket. Um, and like I say, we were just absolutely devastated. Um, those early early days of losing her were we just, they were unfathomable. We didn't know how we would. Um, survived them. We didn't really know how to function in those early days. Um, and, you know, I just, my head was spinning with these questions. And, you know, the questions were how is this survivable? Will, the pain, will this pain last forever? Um, the feelings of grief and loss and rage actually as well because we felt like the last two years of our daughter's life um, had been stolen from us um, and you know would anything ever be good again um, and I just you know those were just the questions that were utmost in my mind and I just really didn't know what the answer to those questions were um, we're eight years down the track now from that time. Um, and I guess eight years has taught us a lot of lessons. Um, they've been hard fought and hard won lessons, a lot of them. Um, but I feel like with a little bit of time and some, some distance from that original phone call, um, I have some insight, I guess, and um, some answers, I guess, to those questions. Answers that all I can offer <laughs> is that they are the answers that were right for me. So I certainly do not think for a single second that I have the answers um, to all of it, but certainly some things that have worked for me that have helped us along the way to to be able to um, to make it through this, you know, the, the terrible um, experience of losing our daughter. So I guess that's a little bit um, of what I want to share today is just some of some of those kind of insights. Um, so yeah, so I guess the first question that I had in that moment from receiving that phone call from those early days of just really trying to get through losing Beth was how is this survivable? Um, and I truly thought in that moment that it, I, I didn't know that it was survivable. Um, I think the answer for us that we learned very early on was literally it was one day and even one moment at a time and it was a matter of just holding on um, and somehow just making it through each moment, each day, each week um, and just by making it through each moment, you somehow do it. It literally is one foot in front of the other. Um, I will be really honest. And to start with, I was very, very down. I just, I did feel suicidal myself, which seems incredible when we've just experienced this loss of our daughter ending her life by suicide. How could I feel that way? But I, you know, what I 
what I believe truly for her is that um, she was going through some stuff that didn't necessarily didn't necessarily mean that she wanted to die, but I think that she just did not know how to cope with and how to live with the pain of whatever it was she was going through. And that was how I was feeling. So it makes me feel like maybe that's, you know, I can relate to how she was in that moment. Um, and it was really scary for me. I would wake up in the morning and there'd be a moment in time where I would forget just a brief, this sort of half nanosecond um, that I, and then it would all come crashing in again. Like, oh my goodness, you know, Beth has died and I can't live, I can't survive with the reality of that. Um, and I was incredibly frightened by those thoughts that were very real. Um, and so I kind of knew that I had to do something. And so what I did in that moment was I talked to somebody and my somebody is my husband, Rock, <laughs> Rock by name and Rock by nature because he is my Rock. Um, and I told him about how I was feeling and I said to him, I need to make a promise to you that I will not um, make that decision for myself and I will not do that to you and our children. Um, and that promise that I made um, kept me safe in lots of ways. Um, and sometimes when I was feeling that and it was getting really scary because the thoughts had just come crowding in on me, I knew that I'd made that promise to him and so I would never act on those feelings. Um, and that they were just feelings too and feelings aren't facts. So I needed to just know that, you know, um, that, yeah, that I would be okay. Um, so that was, that was a good thing. Um, I learned really early on that we needed to just do what was right for us. So we didn't have a, a hymn book. <laughs> you know, we didn't have a script. We didn't have any instructions because we'd never faced a situation before. So there were decisions that other people may well have questioned or thought were the wrong things and we just had to be true to ourselves and what felt like the right things and um, I think we learned that making big decisions when you're feeling like your mind is in such a muddle your whole world is just this huge big you know it's had this massive upheaval now is not the time to make huge decisions but um, some of the decisions we made we knew were the right ones because they sat right so we went back to work my husband to work and me to back to midwifery school you know three weeks after Beth died and we know it was the right decision for us. We wanted to set a good example to our other children. Um, we needed something to give us a purpose to get up for and keep going for in the morning. Um, it was tough, but it was the right decision. Um, I think that there was a thing where we kind of almost had to have just some sort of faith or trust that everything would be okay. Um, and I think in those moments that you can, even if you don't believe it yourself, you can actually look ahead um, or look to others that have gone ahead of you. And, you know, we've had friends that have faced some absolute devastating losses and, you know, been through some really tough situations in their lives. And we've seen them walk their journeys and we've seen that they've survived. So even though while we didn't really know if we were going to make it or not, we could look to them and trust that actually if they're okay, we're going to be okay. Um, and I think the thing is, you know, like we had amazing support from our friends. Um, I felt very strongly that I needed support from a counsellor, especially because I was white knuckling essentially through every week, like, you know, going through midwifery school and what was required of me there. 
I, you know, I was just kind of like, I don't really know how I'm going to be able to do this. And I felt like I needed support that wasn't um, just our friends. Our friends were amazing, but I needed somebody that I could completely fall apart to. And, and that's where the counsellor came in. Um, so the support thing was really important for us. Um, and I think one thing I've learned um, along the way through talking to other people and just through our own experiences that the human spirit is just so resilient. Um, and, you know, the reality is that everybody goes through stuff and it might be different stuff to what we've gone through. It might not be losing people to death. It might not be losing a child, but everybody's got stuff that they have to go through. Um, and that grief and loss and pain are part of the human experience that is the truth it is what it is um and it is survivable we just have to hold on um because you know this too shall pass so um i guess that's the answer to my question of you know how is this survivable is this survivable the answer is yes I guess the other scary part in those early days was you know the, the question that i was asking myself is um, will this pain last forever? Because it was brutal, you know, we couldn't sleep. Um, you know, it's just everything. It's just like, how are we able to function? Is this as good as it's our life is ever going to get? And the thought that the answer to that was yes is just terrifying because, you know, how is that going to be for the rest of our lives that we are in this acute of a pain, you know? Um, what I know for sure, <laughs> thankfully, is that somehow the fog lifts um, and it does it in a way sometimes that you don't even realise it's happening while it's happening, but it does happen. Um, and I have been able to reassure others that have been going through stuff over the years that, you know, that they can take um, comfort in that, um, that the moments, you know, the acuity of the pain lessens, the intensity of it, you the intensity of that, those early days of grief, the you know crying for what feels like it's just hours and days on end becomes less. The moments when you fall apart, space out, you know you don't fall apart as frequently, um, and then what begins to happen over time is suddenly you feel weirdly okay, and it might only last for a moment. Or you might be sharing a memory or something, you know, watching kitten videos on YouTube and suddenly you find yourself laughing. And to start with, you feel incredibly guilty and like, how can this be? But again, I think that's part of the human resilience is that that's just kind of how it plays out that all of a sudden there's, there's just some lightening of the intensity of those early days. Um, what I know for sure, again, is that love is eternal. Um, I will always be Beth's mother. And she will always be a part of our family. I will miss her forever. And I will wish she was here. And sometimes there is a physical longing for her. That is that I wish I could hug her, that I wish that she just would pop in and, you know, we could just hang out and all the rest of it. Um, 
you know, as time goes by, there will always be things that, you know, that we are sad about. You know, there's things that our youngest daughter just turned 21 and we had a 21st for her and it was fabulous. Um, and it's bittersweet because we're, we're celebrating our youngest daughter's 21st, but we never had a 21st for Beth. Um, so there's things like that along the way that absolutely there's going to be, um, you know, moments of difficulty and, you know, just, and it's, it's real in that moment. But um, the, the pain that you think early on is just going to be a constant, that's not there. Um, I think that there isn't an expiry date on grief. I think that grief is the price we pay for love. Um, and it lasts just as long, which is forever. Um, but the nature of it, um, the nature of grief changes over time. Um, and I think that, so the answer to will the pain last forever is in some ways, yes, but not, it's not the same. Um, I think that there is work to be done as far as um, healing. I think some of the work early on is about, um, like I think, and it's like a phrase that I use, is like you can't sit on your hands and hope to heal. And I, I don't know, I had an awareness early that I couldn't just sit, sit like a lump of coal in the corner and be miserable because I could still be sitting there in 20 years. The situation wasn't going to change. Um, we'd lost Beth. I was going to miss her forever, but actually our lives were going to go on. And so I had to take some action towards making that life somehow be bearable. Somehow, early on, I didn't know it would be any kind of enjoyable, but I kind of had an insight that... I had to up spiral because the opposite to up spiraling was down spiraling. And I was acutely aware that if I didn't do something, I could literally go to bed and put the covers over my head and I wouldn't be feeling any better. Um, I think up spiraling isn't always about taking huge leaps and, you know, jumps and it's not um, about making big proclamations to the world. I think sometimes it's a thing of making decisions that are, what can I do today that will help? help me feel better um help me on the path to healing and sometimes it's like well today i'm going to have a shower and i'm going to get dressed <laughs> you know and that might be as good as it is today i'm going to get out in the sunshine and you know get some breathing you know some air and feel the sun on my face today i'm actually going to contact a friend and maybe we could meet for a coffee um and so little by little there is healing and the pain lessens. And um, that's a lesson that has been eight years in the learning um, and I'm grateful for the lesson. Um, one of the things that I really struggled early on with was the degree of all the feelings that I was feeling. So in the, the huge plethora of feelings that I was feeling, so absolutely you know, the, the grief that came from losing our daughter um, was obviously first and foremost, but around all that was 
rage actually and feelings that I hadn't anticipated like absolute hatred for um, the people that had taken her from our home that had like I said felt like she'd been stolen from us um, for the last two years of her life and that just felt like I was so angry that that situation had come about and we had missed out on that time with her um, you know, the grief feelings would just come absolutely crashing in on me. And I'm like, what do I do with these? What do I actually do with these feelings? And like, I was just like in this huge kind of dilemma of, of it. And my initial response and reaction was to push them away because they were so huge. And I felt like they would just absolutely destroy me. And so I didn't want to feel them. But what I learned over time, and this is again, an ongoing lesson, is that the more you resist the feelings, the more they cause you pain. Um, what I have learned is that, again, feelings aren't facts and feelings won't kill you. Um, and so the best thing that I have learned is to feel the feelings, um, let them be whatever they need to be, let them flow through me um, instead of doing that resistance to them. Um, and sure, sometimes they, they bring me to my knees and, you know, I'm doing the ugly cry. And in the moment, it feels like that, again, that moment will last forever. But now I know with certainty that it is just a moment in time, um, that, it, that it will pass, um, the same as everything else will. Um, I know for sure that um, I'm going to have bad days. That is a given. And sometimes the bad days are related to, you know, whatever feelings have come up for me regarding Beth. Other days, uh, they're nothing to do with this, our situation with losing Beth. It's other stuff. But what I've also learned is that there's a thing, I've got a friend who termed it um, trapdoors, that you can be going along just fine, actually. Um, and next minute, the trapdoor opens beneath your feet and it plunges you into this really dark, difficult place. Um, and I think that I've learned that even that, um, it's okay. It, again, it's just a moment in time. Sometimes you can anticipate the trapdoors. Um, I've learned to plan ahead for what I call the big ones, um, and they might be anniversaries. So obviously Beth's birthday, the anniversary of her death. Um, you know, I, it's just kind of like, I know that they're not going to be easy days. Um and so I sometimes I find the anticipation of the day can actually almost be worse than the day itself. But I like to I've kind of learned to sort of have some strategies up my sleeve. So the first thing is, is that I um, almost make a pact with myself that I will do whatever I need to do. Um, so I leave the day open to me and as the day gets closer, I will sometimes make plans and sometimes my plan is to make no plans. Um, I've done some random things over the years. So I've spent some of Beth's birthday going, right, today I am going to go and make an entire day of random acts of kindness, all done in Beth's name. And I've made meals for people and I've baked and given away baking to random strangers. And I'll buy road workers frozen Cokes and I'll take, it doesn't always have to be things that cost money. It might be that I take trolleys back for people at the supermarket. Or I'll be walking past somebody in town and I tell them that their dress is pretty or whatever it is. I bought flowers for people and given them to just random people on the street. Whatever it is, it's just a focus on doing the kindest 
loveliest things because as I said, that was part of Beth's nature and it brings me huge comfort and joy knowing that I am bringing some kindness and joy to the world in her name as if she were here doing it on her own behalf. So um, that's been a real gift. Um, we often plan um, either on Beth's birthday or on the anniversary of her death to go out for a meal. And often it is just my husband and myself. Um, sometimes our other children will join us, but we try and have it and, you know, we book a private table as much as we can or a corner um, and we toast Beth and we spend the evening reminiscing um, about the 15 years we had her home with us. Um, we have had some times where we've gone down to the beach and lit a bonfire and invited her friends to come with us. Um, so whatever it needs to be, it tends to be. We just, like I say, we don't make the plans way in advance. We just sort of see what feels right in the time. Um, but that's really, really helped with us. Just, just you know, we keep her alive. She's alive in our in our hearts, but she's alive in our everyday conversations. When we're talking with our other children, it's always about like Beth's name just as flows naturally from our tongues. We include her. She is part of our family um, as she always was. She always will be. Um, the rage, whoo, like I say, that was a biggie. Um, and it was a big, huge feeling that I didn't anticipate would be part of it. And I really struggled early on because it, it almost crowded in on the grief and the memories I had of Beth. Mm -hmm. Because if I thought about her, the rage came up and I didn't know what to do with the feelings. And I remember... I remember this day actually really, really vividly um, driving down the road and I just was absolutely just seething and I literally felt like my belly was filled with like writhing snakes and I remember saying out loud as I was driving, I don't know what to do with these feelings because I was just so consumed by them. Anyway, you know, life happens and I needed petrol <laughs> in the middle of these pretty grunty feelings I needed fuel so I pulled into the service station and I would have had a face like a thundercloud because I was feeling so yuck um, and I started pumping my gas and a car came in on the other side of the pumps and there were some little faces in the window in the back seat. And these little people were waving at me. Um, and, you know, I couldn't help myself and I didn't want to put my bad mood on them. So I kind of managed a bit of a smile and I waved at these children. Um, and, you know, immediately I kind of felt lightened just even by that little action. Anyway, I walked in to pay for my petrol. And as I walked past the car... Um, I saw their mum or their auntie, whoever the, the woman was, going to put the amount of her fuel into the pump. And I there was just this moment of hesitation. And whether I read it right or not, I don't, I'm not sure. But what I know from my previous sort of you know experiences have been, I think she's kind of going, well, I need bread and milk and groceries and how much can I afford? And whether or not that was actually situation I'm not sure but that kind of sowed a seed in my mind so as I went into the service station I went up to the to the attendant and I said can you add two pumps together and he said yes and I said cool because I want to pay for that lady's petrol today 
I didn't know how much it was going to be, but it just felt like the right thing to do, just to do something nice for someone else. And so he said, yeah, no problem. So he did that. It was $15. You know, it wasn't even a lot of money, but that's how much it was. So as I went walking out, the lady had finished pumping her gas, and I said to her, hey, listen, I paid for your gas today, random act of kindness. Um, and she was just like, you know, thank you so much. And I was just like, don't mention it because it wasn't about me needing any thanks or gratitude. It was just about doing something kind for someone else. Anyway, I got in my car and drove out of the petrol station. And then suddenly I just had this, this literally, it was like an epiphany where I noticed that I no longer had the feelings that I'd had when I'd gone into the service station, like the, the snakes had gone. I didn't feel rage anymore. It makes me want to cry. And what I realized in that moment was that you cannot have hatred and rage where there is love and kindness. You can't hold those two things in the same space. And what I had done was replace all of that rage with just love and kindness for that lady. And it was literally, that is probably the biggest or one of the biggest lessons that I have learned over this eight years. And it really has been absolutely key and instrumental to my healing. Um, and yeah, on some of the toughest, toughest days where I have just felt absolutely despondent, and like maybe, you know, again, because I'm not any kind of saint that I want to pick up the rage or I again feel like maybe this isn't survivable because I'm just feeling so sad about losing Beth. I know what that there's an answer to it, that actually what I need to do in that moment is go looking for an opportunity to do something kind and loving for other people. Um, and I swear it has it's been my saving grace and it's worked every time <laughs> which is just so cool so um yeah I, i'm really grateful for that insight um there's other feelings that have kind of happened along the way um some of it's been fear um the fear of losing my other children um you know how to actually function along the way um, to start with i kind of had this thing where i compartmentalize all of my feelings i just sort of I had this sort of vision of putting all of them in a box with a lid on tight. Um, but again, that's sort of like a resistance to feeling feelings. Um, and I guess one of the things that I learned is that it doesn't, again, it doesn't heal itself. Well, that's been my experience anyway. Um, I knew that I had some grief work to do. Um, I've done I've worked really hard, actually, over the last eight years. Um, the Taranaki Retreat has absolutely played a huge part in that, and I recognised that I needed support to do lots of the really hard work. Um, some of that was dealing just with the grief and, you know, just the circumstances around Beth's death and, you know, the years preceding her death and stuff, and I was so supported to do that um, at, when I, at my stay at the retreat. Um, some of it was for having hope um, and looking forward to the future. And Liz, you know, um, you and I spent a lot of time on, you know, looking ahead at how, you know, what I wanted my life to look like and how I was going to take the steps towards finding joy and happiness again. Um, I've had some other counselling along the way. Um, 
as well where I, you know times when I've needed support and stuff and I, I've just recognized that I you know I needed somebody to walk alongside me while I, I did the hard work that was needed um, and yeah it's been amazing um, and I feel like in lots of ways I've dealt with a lot of those um, feelings especially those ones of hatred and bitterness because you know I wanted to be able to grieve for Beth and all its purity where I can think of my daughter and I can bring her face to mind and I can speak her name without, you know, black, horrible feelings surrounding her. And I have absolutely achieved that. Um, the fear thing I have just kind of held on again and, um, and, and just worked my th way through it. And now the fear um, is a lot less and I have just trusted um, the universe, I guess, to, um, take care of me and take care of my other children. Um, there's some other insights, I guess, that I've learned along the way that I sometimes share with people or sometimes not, but <laughs> I've learned them. Um, one of them is so just relationships. Um, my husband and I have grieved um, and have gone, you know, have traveled this journey in quite different ways. Um, and I've learned that it's been really important for me to respect his timeline and his way of um, grieving. And he equally has done the same for me. So, you know, I've wanted to talk it out. I wanted support around it. Um, yeah, I, I just have done it quite proactively. He tends to be a lot more insular. He tends to want to work through things in his own head. Um, you know, along the way, we have absolutely just um, known that we've been there for each other, but in our own separate kind of ways. Um, and that's been really good. And, and just being patient with each other, um, just opening up the communication. Um, so, yeah, I know through lots of the people I've spoken to and some of the Facebook groups and stuff that I've been on that um, often relationships um, don't survive something as traumatic as losing a child. And I think some of the time, you know, it's because of those things that people have expectations that each other should, you know, grieve in the same way. And, um, yeah, so I just say just, you know, just try and uh, hold on to each other and support each other. Um, I've learned that people say dumb stuff. <laughs> I'm sure that I have been absolutely guilty of one of you know being one of the people that said dumb stuff along the way. Um, I think that there's an awkwardness around um, death and loss and just you know people don't know what to say, so they kind of blurt out the first thing that's just you know on their mind. And it, yeah, it's it's mind blowing sometimes what people come up with. Um, and so I have been had to be really gracious around that. Um, I have got a little saying, I'm Teflon, which means that I just don't need anything stick. I know that for the most part, people are not going out to be malicious or hurtful. Um, and so sometimes people will say something and I'm like, oh, I felt that. And then I'm like, no, 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 let that slide right off um, and certainly don't hold it against people. Um, you know, what I've learned, um, some of it through, again, through what kind of didn't happen with us, um, but I, you know, I'm much more aware now is just to be so compassionate of people when they are in tough situations. Um, I've learned that it's really important to send the card, even if you're like, oh, it's too late now, three months has gone by, I should have sent the card straight away. Just send the card. It's fine. The people will still appreciate it, you know. Um, say people's names. I know that people think, oh, but if I mention them, 
it will upset the person. And what I know for sure is that, you know, we didn't forget. We didn't forget that Beth died. And it is such a gift to us when people speak her name. You know, I remember when, oh my goodness, I had a dream about Beth the other day. Or I remember when this happened, you know, with Beth, blah, blah, blah. Or, oh man, I saw this thing the other day and I know Beth would have loved that. That is such a gift to me. We don't, we don't have new memories. So people giving us the gift of old memories. My aunt the other day sent me through some photos that I had never seen before. And oh my, it was so lovely. We, we're not getting new photos of her. So that was just so beautiful. So yeah, I've learned that to say the name, um, hold space for people. You know, if people are going through tough times or whatever, um, you don't need to have the right words. You just don't, it's okay to say, hey, you know, this must be really tough for you. I have no idea of what this must be like for you I don't even know what to say but I'm here for you that is just all you need um and you know just checking in I've got friends that you know eight years down the track they I know that they must have it marked in their calendar that it's you know the anniversary of Beth's death or it might be Mother's Day or something and I just get little texts from them or they'll ring me or whatever just say hey thinking of you today oh god it means so much um so yeah um Probably one of the things not to say is any sentence that starts with at least. <laughs> oh, you know, they died, but at least, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, you know, I try really hard. I know that it's tempting sometimes to sort of try and jolly people out of stuff, but that probably is the least helpful thing. And I've learned that, you know, to be really mindful of not, not starting sentences with at least, or, you know, I know how you feel because, you know, you might have been through something similar. Um, your dog dying isn't the same. <laughs> so, yeah, but um, I just think just being compassionate, being there for people, not waiting for people to, you know, the whole thing of like, if, if you need anything, um, you know, call around, drop some early days. You know, we had a friend that just dropped in toilet paper and coffee and said, you know, I know you'll be having lots of people, um, lots of visitors. So I thought this might be useful. Thanks. Didn't even come in. Left it on the doorstep. Really cool. So, um, and, and on, the, on the subject of friends, like, again, another thing that I never anticipated is that we would have lost friends along the way, um, which has been really hard and really tough. And, I think what that is about, again, is that people just feel awkward and they, they're scared they're going to get it wrong. And so they just kind of like stay away. And I think sometimes they probably think that they're doing the right thing and giving you space. But, man, it's hard because, you know, the, the early days when you lose somebody are busy. You're making arrangements and people come by to visit and, you know, you've got funerals to plan and all the rest of it. And then... What happens pretty quickly, actually, is that everybody else goes back to their normal lives and your life has changed forever and it gets really quiet. Um, and, you know, you need your friends and the friends, you know, what we have discovered is that, that our true friends have just stayed so close to us. They have provided such beautiful support to us. Like I say, they know when it's, you know, Beth's birthday or the anniversary of her death. Um, they'll offer to have us around for dinner, but they'll also say, we know that you might, you know, want to be on your own. Whatever's right for you is cool. Um, you know, some friends, we've had to let those friendships go because um, for whatever reason, you know, um, 
Yeah, but just I guess anticipating that. But you, know, I think at the end of the day, you know that your people will still be the people that are there eight years down the track. You know, there they are, and yeah, I'm so grateful for our friends. They really are our family, um, which is fantastic. Um, I guess one of the one of the big questions that I had for myself in those early days was, will anything ever be good again? Because I couldn't even anticipate or imagine how that could be the truth you know and you know the thought of it just being as rubbish as it was in those early days forever was just soul destroying it was just like how how are we going to be able to live if this is as good as it's ever going to get and what I am pleased to be able to share with people now and what I know now after eight years of living this journey is that joy and peace and happiness are just so achievable. Um, it is our reality. You know, I have a life now that is, I am just so grateful to have with so many moments that are just worthwhile and fabulous and filled with laughter and people that I adore and stuff. And what I've learned is that that doesn't replace the grief and loss and the feelings of missing Beth and all the rest of it. It lives alongside that. Um, and somehow they, they just can coexist in the same space that is my life. Um, and I sometimes, you know, at the risk of sounding completely <laughs> unhinged, but I can swing in and out of those. I can have a moment where, uh, you know, our youngest daughter again the other day was telling us about, you know, the achievement that she's just, um, you know, just done so well with her uni and all the rest of it. She rang to tell us about it and we were so proud of her and we were just you know, we finished the phone call, we were like, we're so proud of you, love, and then we're like, man, hasn't she done well, and then the tears just flowed down my cheeks, because in that moment of being so happy for her, so proud of her, there is also that thing where it's like, isn't it a shame, Beth didn't you know, get to experience this. Beth didn't get to be, you know, going through uni and looking forward to her future. And and those two things just are part of the reality that is our life. And that's okay. I'm not scared of the tears. I'm not scared of the feelings. They just coexist and it's okay. Um, and we, yeah, like I say, we're just so grateful for our big, beautiful life um, that had Beth in it too, you know. That is part of the gratitude we have. Um, and we we have a real commitment to living our best life and we see that as the best way to honour her and honour her existence, you know. Um, my husband has a tattoo on his arm. Um, that he got for Beth, um, and it's a play on the words out of the Garth Brooks song, The Dance, um, and it says, I could have missed the pain, but I would have missed the dance, and what that means for us is that we would rather have had Beth in our lives for the, you know, to, that she was here on this earth for the 17 years, um, you know, that this earth was lucky enough 
who have had her for that length of time and then lost her than to never have had her at all. Um, you know, and we we make a point to celebrate her existence. She was here, she was born, she existed, she was loved. We still love her. The feelings of love that I had for her when she was on this earth are no different to the feelings of love that I had for her when she was walking this earth. Um, we honor her existence in loads of ways. We've got photos of her around our house. I had a quilt made out of her clothes that is on, her, you know, her bedroom is still her bedroom. It's our guest room too. Um, our guests get to see the, her photos on the wall. Um, it's not a shrine. It's not something where we never enter that room. You know, the quilt is on her bed made out of her clothes. I get to go in there and just talk to her and, you know, spend time with her and with her memories whenever I want to. And it's beautiful. Um, like I say, we share stories with her and about her with our friends um, and our kids and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's amazing. And life is good again, you know, which is so cool. Um, there's some things, and this is, I guess, almost to finish off with, that there's some things that I wish that Beth knew. You know, I wish um, before the, she made the tragic decision that she made, I wish that she knew how loved she was first and foremost. You know, um, we just adored her. We, yep, we were parenting her. We were setting boundaries around her. We still feel that was the right thing to do when you have a child of 15 that wants to go out and do all sorts of things that weren't good for her, um, you know, she wasn't ready yet um, to be making some of those decisions for herself. Um, but we wish that she'd known that it wouldn't have been like that forever. She was on the cusp of adulthood and, you know, like a couple more years, she would have been making all of her decisions herself and we would have just been loving her and supporting her through making her decisions. Um, but, you know, I think when you're 15, you don't know that. You just want all the freedom in the world and you think your parents are pretty stink because they don't let you do everything you want to do. Um, you know, I don't know what all of what was going on for her in those, you know, weeks and months and moments um, before she made the decision to take her life. But I wish that she had known that whatever pain she was feeling that was so huge that she just wanted to escape from it. I just wish that I could turn back time and that she could have known in that moment that it would have passed, you know, that all she needed to do was hold on through that moment, through those big, huge, horrible feelings and just have known that it would have been okay because you know her future was just so bright she was just such a gift to this world she had so much to look forward to so many good things ahead of her you know she might have traveled or gone to uni or you know found love had babies just whatever she whatever decisions that she 
could have made in her life. Like they were just all right there waiting for her. And, you know, it makes me really sad that she missed out on those things. Um, and so I guess just to, just to finish up. Um, so what I wish Beth knew and what I remind myself every day is that life is hard sometimes. I think we need to know that. I think sometimes we live in, in a world with, you know, expectations that everything's going to be, as my husband would say, bear and skittles, <laughs> um, that things are going to be easy um, and effortless and um, it's just not the truth. Maybe we're coming to some realization of that with what's happening at the world, you know, at the moment in the world, with you know, with the the tough stuff with pandemics and you know things like that. But um, I think what sums it up for me um, that life is so worth living is this quote by L. R. Nost, um, and what she says, and I'm just going to read this quote is life is amazing and then it's awful and then it's amazing again and in between the amazing and the awful it's ordinary mundane and routine breathe in through the amazing hold on through the awful and relax and exhale through the ordinary it's just living heartbreaking soul healing amazing awful, ordinary life, and it's breathtakingly beautiful. So, yeah, that's my story. Oh, Annie, I know I've heard parts of that before, but absolute credit to you and Rock for your journey you know, for being so open to learning, you know, for, for taking those steps that you realised that you had to take, that it wasn't going to happen just by sitting in it. Um, and, yeah, just the courage that you have had through that journey, whether you felt courageous, I'm sure it hasn't felt like that at times. Um, but, you know, I was writing down questions and things to ask and you just answered them all as, as you, you know, you went along and just such a beautiful gift for people to understand more about, you know, how it must be for you, you know, and moving forward, but also, you know, for someone that's listening that knows someone that's going through something similar and can take away some practical steps and some potential things not to say um, that, yeah, will be super helpful as well. And if there's someone listening to this that is facing that decision as to whether they want to be on this planet right now, Annie, is there something that you could just say to them? I think, like I said, I truly believe that often people don't want to die. I think that they just, the pain is just feels so overwhelming and all consuming and they cannot see that there possibly is a way out. And I so understand that. And, you know, like I said, those early days of grief, I'm like, how is this even, how is it 
possible to survive this. I don't even want to live without my daughter. Um, it felt like my life was going to be crap forever. And I think that's what I always want to say to people that are struggling and that are in that place of, but it's so dark and hopeless, because I think that's how it feels in that moment is it's so hopeless, is that it's, I think you just have to somehow trust because it, like in that space, you don't necessarily believe it, but trusting that it won't always be like that, that there is a future that can be amazing, that this is sometimes how life is. It is a shit sandwich. And sometimes you just get a big bite in whatever circumstance. And there's so many different reasons that people may be feeling that way. But I just think the answer of it is to be tenacious, to just hold on to reach out to support, literally tell somebody how you are feeling. And that is just sometimes the toughest thing to actually admit it, that you are struggling, that you can't do it on your own. This is how I'm feeling. You know, the day that I had that conversation with my husband, I was so frightened because I was scared of what I might do. Um, and for me, part of keeping myself safe was one speaking it out loud because I do think monsters live in the dark telling him how I was feeling saying I need your help with this and for me the protective factor was making a promise to him that I would not act on those feelings um you know again reaching out to the retreat and saying I this is so big it's it's too big for me to do on my own I need support around this um, and, you know, the, the retreat was just so amazing at just opening up that space. And, you know, I worked hard when I was there um, to think about things that I didn't really want to think about, to unpack some feelings that I've been having and some, you know, to say some things that I had just held deep, so, so deep inside of myself that it felt like how could I even, they were ugly, you know, they were ugly, ugly thoughts and feelings. And, you know, the people that I came in contact with at the retreat did not judge me. They held space for me to speak those feelings out, those words out, um, and then just help me process them and rid myself of them. You know, we did some things that had never even occurred to me. We, you know, had some paperwork some horrible things that you know that some emails that I had and um, we did like some sacrificial burning in the fire pit at the retreat and do you know it just it was so powerful because it, it truly truly released me from some of that stuff I didn't need that paperwork I didn't need to be holding on to the evidence of some things that people had said or had done to me and you know sometimes when I like I say I'm not a saint and sometimes I go right back it feels like to square one and I want to pick those feelings up and those hurts up again and what I do in that moment is I stop myself and I go, no, 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 hang on. You dealt with this, remember? And it's like I've anchored it. I've anchored it to that experience, to the Taranaki retreat, to that fire pit. And remember, you released that there. 
So you don't need to pick this up again because you dealt with it and you left it there. And honestly, it is just so powerful. So yeah, bottom line, hold on, be tenacious, you know, your life will get better again. That is the reality. Whatever you're going through, you, you might not be able to see your way out of it, but life just has a way of coming back round again, like from the awful to the amazing. Um, and even that, like in the amazing, there's going to be tough stuff ahead. Like that is life. Um, but yeah. I think that, you know, that I kind of waffled on, but I think the bottom line is just hold on and trust that it can be good again and get some support while you're going through the tough stuff. That's it. And, you know, Taranaki Retreat is there um, for people in New Zealand, for people in New Plymouth especially, you know, Waimanakal now is there. Hop into the gathering. You know, there are people there that will just listen to you that will hold space for you without judgment like that's it like you will be heard and you know there's support there in whatever way that you need it or you choose it um but don't do this on your own you know just it's okay to not be okay um yeah it's it. <laughs> and I think, you know, you agreed there's the flip side of that in that it's okay to be okay as well, you know, and what you were talking about is that you can go in and out, um, you know, within moments. And I know when I'm on that grief journey, yeah, you know, we can absolutely ride that wave. And, you know, then it can be like, gosh, how can I be happy now? And then it's like, it's actually okay that I'm happy now. And yes, you know, the next wave will happen when it happens, but it is okay to be okay in those bits I think it, as well. I, absolutely. I think for us, I would be doing my daughter a huge disservice if what, you know, if her legacy that she left behind from her short time on this earth was that we spent the rest of our days and her brother and sister as well being miserable and, you know, just living little wee small, bitter, hateful lives. Like, how would that be any kind of honouring her? Um, like I say, our lives are big and beautiful. We literally are squeezing every ounce of juice out of our lives. And we have so much fun and we have so much joy and we have so many good people in our lives. And we go out of our way to support other people, to support um, other co-papa that resonate with us. Like, they are just, we are just... I don't know, she lives on through us, you know, and I guess that is our co-papa, you know. Um, we've got cards printed out um, that we often give out in her name with like whatever it is that we choose to do. Um, like I say, it's not always financial. It might just be little wee things, but we, you know, the cards say that this random act of kindness was done in Beth's name and please don't pay us back. We don't, it's not about gratitude back to us or, you know, that we're wanting any thanks or anything like that, but please pay it forward, perpetuate. You know, I think we can absolutely start this ripple of kindness and love and aroha that just literally can just go on forever. And I love that that is what 
comes out of Beth's existence, you know. Um, it's pretty cool, actually. It's really cool. <laughs> it is. And I think, you know, that I do talk to clients about that in terms of what it is, what is it about the person that you've lost um, that you want to take on? Uh, so that we're not always thinking about, as you say, the bitter and the hatred and the upset and the anger, but what are, what were they about? What were they passionate about? You know, and yeah, absolutely. When I hear you talk about Beth, it's always about kindness and her giving. And yeah, so it's like, that's what you've been able to carry on into, you know, the next chapters in the future. So yeah, again, thinking, you know, if someone's listening and they have lost someone, what was it about that person? You know, what was it about them that, yeah, and their legacy that you can then carry on um, for them, I think is a beautiful, beautiful idea. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Annie, huge absolutely huge and yeah do hope that you've got space for some self-care and looking after you right now um but again yeah can only give you my thanks and if you have been touched by this story and potentially got some questions um if you thought of some that i haven't asked or i feel and he did cover so much um then please do get in touch so i'm at liz at liz-fry.com if you want to get in touch with the retreat, it's taranakiretreat.org.nz. And as Annie said, you know, we're here to walk the journey with you and find out what those next steps are. So Annie, thank you once again. So appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Liz. Awesome.